For many of you, I don't need to introduce Richard Pratt. He has been here many, many times, long before I uh, was here. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, people have uh, both a, a public and a private persona. persona and, and I've had the privilege of seeing both in, in Richard. Richard is the, the public face and the co-founder of Third Millennium Ministries, which is literally uh, reaching millions of people with the gospel today. And uh, in that sense, as the public face, he is this very gifted teacher and preacher and leader. He is uh, someone that, uh, quite frankly, is just fascinating to hear him unpack the truths of Scripture. Uh, Steve Brown said of him that, uh, and this is quite true, uh, that he is one of the most effective and remarkable Christian leaders of our time. And so that's what most people see, and that is very true, but every once in a while I've had the privilege of, of seeing or knowing something about Richard behind the scenes, and uh, one of the things that means a great deal to me is that one of my church members from our Huntsville church, who was serving with Richard at one point in his ministry, uh, contracted ALS, and uh, as he got worse and worse, uh, Richard wasn't just traveling the world where he could have been. He was over at uh, our friend's bedside uh, reading Scripture to him, praying with him, bringing communion to him. And, and so I, I think of Richard as certainly a great leader for God's church around the world. But I also think of him as a great pastor, though he probably doesn't describe himself in that way. Richard, it has been great to have you this weekend, and uh, we're really looking forward to having you today. Come on. Would you welcome Richard Pratt? Good, good morning, everyone. I'm really glad to be with you, and I'm told the early service is uh, made up of real Christians. <laughs> is that right? Now, you know I have to say that in the second service, too, right? But I think it's probably true of you. You had to get up this morning, right? They're sleeping in. What can you say about that? Um, the bulletin is wrong. Actually, it's right. But I really felt convicted last night and this morning that I should change the passage that we're going to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible, you may want to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It will not be on the screen, so you can't cheat. If you want to look at it, you could have to look at it in your lap. Romans chapter 1. It is a great privilege to be with you. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to see many of you that I've met before and known before. And also, it's always good to go back to a church and realize there are lots of people you don't know. And that's a good sign. And uh, Mike is a good friend for many, many years. And he'll tell bad stories about me too. Just ask him. Okay, it's easy to find bad stories about me. Romans chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 16. This is the Word of God. Listen to what our Lord has to say to us. Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, 
we bless you and we honor you for the gift of your word that's been given to us here through your apostle. We honor you for these words that were written thousands of years ago. But we turn to you now. We look to no one like we look to you. We hope in no one like we hope in you. We long to see no one like we long to see you. And so we pray now that you will send Holy Spirit to us. May he come and fill every heart in this room that we may know your truth and be set free so that we will never be ashamed of the good news that you proclaim to the world. Amen. I want you to imagine a little boy about eight years old. (sighs) He was absolutely terrified. I know because I was that little eight-year-old boy. And I was standing behind the curtain of my elementary school, waiting for the curtain to open, and I was shaking like this, and tears were coming down my cheeks because it was going to be the first time I had ever sung a solo in front of my elementary school. It was terrifying. My teacher noticed the tears and the shaking, and she said, hold the curtain, hold the curtain. And she ran over to me, and she grabbed me by the shoulders, and she started shaking me like this. And she said, Richie, if you don't get some confidence, you're going to mess up this whole program. (laughs) I promise you it's true. I wanted to say very much, you know, why do you think I'm crying? I know that that's the situation I'm facing right now. I'm going to mess up the whole program. But I think we all kind of understand. I'm not sure she did the right thing, but I think we all kind of understand what she meant when she said, if you don't get some confidence, you're going to mess up all of this that we've been working so hard on for so long. There's just certain things in this world you can't do unless you have confidence. If you're embarrassed about it, if you're afraid of it, if you're ashamed of it, you're just not going to step out there and take the risk and do it. Now, if there were ever a time when Christian people, followers of Jesus, have good reason to feel that way, it is today. But we've got to get some confidence if we're going to stand up for Christ and let the world know who he is and why he came. The Apostle Paul starts off verse 16. It's a well-known verse. If you've been around Christianity much at all, you've probably heard this verse before. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, who would have ever thought he was ashamed of the gospel? And this is the Apostle Paul. He traveled everywhere telling people about Jesus and the good news about Jesus. But he knew something. He knew that it was human and ordinary, sort of par for the course, that followers of Jesus can sometimes be a little bit ashamed, lacking a little bit of confidence, a little bit embarrassed, not really knowing what to say, about this Jesus in whom we believe. And so he said very plainly, as he was eager to go to the city of Rome, I am not ashamed. Now, I know that in the ways things are today in this country here, and if you're not from this country, you're at least living in it at the moment, so let me just tell you what's going on. We know 
what's going on in our country. There has been change upon change, and it's come so rapidly, and it's become so forcefully that we can hardly believe our eyes. Isn't that true? That you can hardly believe that the world around us right here in our beloved United States of America has changed so much. Well, one of the reasons it shocks us and one of the reasons it challenges followers of Jesus is that our culture no longer tells us that we're wrong. It doesn't tell us that we're silly to believe in this Jesus, to believe in things like his death will save you from your sins, his resurrection will give you eternal life. Oh, that's what they used to say about you. And that is that you're a silly person, sort of old-fashioned, not scientific enough, not modern enough. You silly people believing that old-time religion. That's not what's being said anymore. In addition to being silly and old-fashioned, we are now being called evil for what we believe. And that's the way it was in the city of Rome for the Apostle Paul. He was eager to go there knowing that in the city of Rome there would be many who considered the Christian faith not something silly, not some silly little old-fashioned Jewish religion, but rather evil. And that if you followed the Christian faith or if you proclaimed the Christian faith and tell others about it, then you're not just simply doing something that's old, you're doing something that actually goes against the most precious things that the city of Rome believed, like Caesar is king of the world, not Jesus. Things like, I have rights to follow the religion that I want to follow. Don't tell me that your Jesus is the only way to come to God and to have eternal life. Things like, if you don't make sacrifices to my God, then my business will not go well. Things like every disease I get is because of you Christians who are worshiping this strange God. The troubles in our society are coming because of you. That's the way it was in Rome in the first century. And friends, that's the way it is becoming more and more in these United States of America in the 21st century. Have you noticed? You're not just silly anymore. You're not just old-fashioned. What you believe about Jesus is now considered evil. You are the villains. You are the virus. And everywhere you go, you are spreading the smell of death. Welcome to our world today. And I think we can see that in many ways this impacts us, doesn't it? It impacts us when it comes to those of you who own businesses trying to figure out how do you deal with this kind of environment where we are as the owner of a business? How do you manage contracts with the government and with other groups of people? It affects you when you deal with going to school and taking your kids to soccer games and ballet recitals. It impacts you when you simply go to the store 
and meet a neighbor who knows that you're a follower of Jesus? All around us, we're not simply considered irrelevant anymore. We're considered the problem. And when people think you are the problem in this world, when people think that the things you believe are actually evil, it's easy to be ashamed of the good news of Jesus. Now, the options are to be ashamed to just pull back and be very quiet and, or to get angry at them and to point the finger at them and say the same thing to them as they say to us. Well, that's an easy option, but it's really not the option that the Apostle Paul followed, nor the one that Jesus wants us to follow today, that we simply turn the guns on them and say, oh, 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 oh we're not the evil ones, you are. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to get that angry, isn't it? But it's also easy simply to be quiet and miss opportunities to let the people around you know what you believe about Jesus. The apostle here calls it the gospel. Well, unfortunately, the gospel or the good news in our day in many churches have been, has been reduced down further and further and further as opposition to Christianity has grown in this culture. It's been reduced down to something that's, well, easier to believe, easier to hold on to, things like this. If you were to ask most evangelical Christians what is the good news or the gospel of Christ, they would probably say something like this. If you will come to Jesus and have faith in him, then he'll forgive you of your sins and he'll make your life better. And when you die, you'll get to go to heaven and spend eternity with Christ. And that'll be a great thing. And, you know, the truth is, is that's correct. That is what happens when people come to Jesus and put their faith in him. He does forgive them of their sins and he does give them new life and he will give them eternal life in the world to come. It's a wonderful thing. But that reduces the good use of Jesus down to something that's very manageable and something that maybe you can sort of say, well, you know, every religion says that kind of thing, so it won't be that offensive. But it's not what the good news of Jesus is in the big picture. The good news is a word, or the gospel is a word that comes from the Old Testament, but was also a word that was used in Roman society, and it was used in this way. The good news of a king like Caesar a good news of a king like Jesus was this. Jesus is having victory over the world. And it is in his hands to turn the world into the kind of place that God wants it to be. And the good news is that if you believe in him, you will inherit that new world with him. In a day when people are so pessimistic, in a day when dystopian movies are the most popular movies around, in a day when dystopian views of your personal life and of society all around us are so pressing upon us, in a day when our young people have bought into these views and have lost all optimism for the future, Christianity says this, 
The good news is Jesus came to this world to turn the world into the kingdom of God. And one day when he returns, he will do that. He will make all things new. And the world will be a place of peace and harmony and goodness forever and forever in his presence. A wonderful world, so magnificent that the glory of God himself will light up the sky. That is the message that we bring to a world that's given up on hope. That is the message we bring to a world that's given up on any sense of destiny. That is the message that we give to our young people. And it is this, Jesus is going to fix everything. Do you want to be a part of that? Then come to him. You will be made new, and you will become a part of a new creation when all things are made new. Now say that to your next-door neighbor and see how they react to that. Say that in public and see how much the opposition rises. So why then would we ever tell every person that we know or encounter that my hope for the entire world, my hope for a new creation is in one person, Jesus of Nazareth, why would we ever want to do such a thing as that? How could we ever have confidence when we make the good news of Jesus so well, difficult to believe today. It's because of what the apostle goes on to say in verse 16. You remember he said, I am not ashamed of this good news. And he says, because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile or to the Greek or to the barbarian. Let's unpack that just a minute. Maybe if we can see how he could bring this message of a new world in Jesus, that kind of hope to desperate, declining Rome, perhaps we can see how we can have the confidence and not be ashamed to tell that message in our world as well. Well, the first thing he says is this. He says, I know something about this message of Jesus, the good news. And it's this. It's a secret. Most people don't know it. Are you ready? It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The message, the story you tell about Jesus, even simply telling what you believe about him and what he's done in your life, that story has power in it. That's what he's saying. Now, I think all of us know that words have a lot of power. Every time someone insults you, they are exercising power over you, aren't they? Every time they praise you and it makes you feel a little bit better, well, that's the power of words. But the Apostle Paul is not talking about mere, the, the mere power of human words, no. He says it's not that kind of ordinary word power that people can use against you or for you. He says, no, the good news of Jesus has the power of God himself in it. Imagine that, a message 
a little story, a simple thing you can say that Jesus is going to fix everything one day. Come to him and you can be a part of it. That simple little message has the power of the one who made everything, the power of the one who sustains everything within it. That's a lot of power. I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia. And before I became a believer at the age of 17, I was sort of an ordinary teenager for Roanoke, Virginia back in 1922, I think it was. <laughs> May as well say it was 22. It's ancient history to most people. Ordinary in this sense, that what we had as our standard for judging whether a person was worthwhile or worthless was what kind of car they drove. Sounds like adults, doesn't it? Well, that's the way we were as teenagers. And I can remember the day when a new student came to our high school and was pulled into the parking lot. He was from West Virginia, not Southwest Virginia, but West Virginia. You know, you got to feel superior to somebody, right? But this car of his was what we called a hick wreck. And it was old. It was about 20 years old. It was back in the days when if you had an older car, some of you will know this, that the windshield would cloud up. Remember those days? And it, well, the headlight was cockeyed, and it had bumps and scratches all over it, and as it drove into our parking lot, it was shaking like this, <laughs> like that. And we all stood there. We couldn't believe it, that somebody would drive a car like that into our high school parking lot. Well, rather than being ashamed, this young man rolled down his window as he passed us standing there looking at him, he put his arm up in the window like this, and he smiled. He said, hey, y'all, how you doing? And he drove on in. I, we couldn't believe it. He should have gone like that. I'm so ashamed to be in this car. But he didn't. So Friday night, we were going to let him know that he should have been ashamed of his car. There's a road in Roanoke, Virginia called Williamson Road, and it was a typical thing that teenagers did back in those days. We would cruise up and down Williamson Road. It was a six-lane road at the time, and cruise up and down, and you know what would happen if you've been around these kinds of things. You get to a traffic light, and you do this, like that, with your car. Now, you don't look at the car next to you because it might be your mother, <laughs> right? But you go, and if the car next to you does the same thing, then you know you've got to race to the next light. So all of us went for looking for Scott and his hick wreck. A lot of us found him, and he beat every single one of us hands down. It was not even a contest. It was crazy, unbelievable. And, of course, there was the drive-in place, you know, with the roller skates and that kind of thing where you get a hamburger, and we were all there, and here comes Scott in his hick wreck, and he pulls in right next to us, gets out and says, hey, how's it going? And he didn't say another word. He just walked around to the front of his car and opened the hood. And we all walked over and looked, and we noticed that he had all these four-barrel magnum, this, that, and the other that you put on cars, and you know, he, he was a master mechanic. He had rebuilt the engine of his car and the transmission of his car from the ground up. He didn't care what his car looked like on the outside. Not at all. But he was proud of his car, and he wasn't ashamed because he knew something we didn't know, and it was that his car had power under the hood. A lot of us can remember the day when the words of the good news of Jesus broke 
through to us. We may have heard it from childhood, but it just never quite got to us. But the day came when the power of God in that simple message broke through and we came to Jesus and he made us new. A lot of us can remember other people with whom we've shared our faith and we've seen that power just break through. And so like Scott and his hickrack, our religion is not new and shiny. The headlights a little bit cockeyed. The windshield is clouded up. There are bumps all over it and rusted spots all over this Christianity that we believe in. But we know something. We know that the word about Jesus has the power of God under the hood. And not simply to make nice people nicer, but to bring everyone who believes in it eternal salvation. How could you possibly be ashamed of something that is that powerful. Do you wonder why we don't use coercive force to turn people into Christians? We don't need to. We've got the most powerful word that you could possibly imagine. Do you wonder why we don't just force people to follow Jesus? We don't have to. The word of the gospel breaks through and it transforms the lives of people into followers of Jesus, making them the heirs of the world to come. What more power could you possibly want than that? So how, how could we be ashamed? Aren't you tired of relying on the power of politicians? Are you tired of that yet? Aren't you tired of relying on things being fancy and being like spectacular? Are you tired of that yet? Are you tired of noticing what kind of power social media has over your teenage children? Aren't you just sick and tired of all that? Then come back to Jesus and find the power of the gospel the good news about him and you will not be ashamed I love this passage because it talks about why a person should not be ashamed even when the world calls you evil why we shouldn't be ashamed because the good news of Jesus has that kind of power under the hood but it says something else too remember at the end of the verse the apostle says it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That's all you have to do. Just believe in it. And you'll get that power in your life too. But then he goes on and says, to the Jew first and then to the Greek or to the barbarian. Now, you know, in our day, it's, it's hard for us to understand exactly what that meant. It is true to history that the good news of Jesus came to the Jews first. Jesus was Jewish. His apostles were Jewish. So it came to the Jews first. And then it went to Gentiles, like most of us are in this room today. Thanks be to God. But it's more than a history lesson. In the Apostle Paul's day, Jews were very well prepared to hear about Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, they went to synagogue. They knew the Bible. They knew when to stand up and sit down in church. They knew the hymns. They knew where to find Romans in a Bible. They knew the stories. 
They knew what the expectations and the dreams and the hopes of the Messiah were. They knew all these things. They were very well prepared. They knew the difference between a polite word and a cuss word. You would like for their children to be in your youth group. That's how nice they were. That's how good they were. And the apostle says, the good use of Jesus is able to reach them. But he says, not just to them but also to the barbarian. Now, what's a barbarian? It's like a lot of people that you know day by day in this world we live in today. They don't go to church. They don't know when to stand up and sit down in church. They don't know the hymns. They couldn't find Romans. They have not heard the stories of the Bible. They don't know the Ten Commandments. You really are not sure you want their children coming to your youth group because they don't know the difference between polite words and curse words. But the apostle says, the good news of Jesus has such a long arm that it even reaches people like that. Do you remember Mike Tyson, the boxer? Um, He's something of a has-been, though he's been on the news recently, right? Airplanes and things like that. Do you know this? Nod your head. It's okay. You can nod. This is the 8.30 service. 9 o'clock service, yeah. Okay, Mike Tyson. He was a powerful boxer. He had very strong arms. I saw him once hit a man like this and lift him off the canvas. It was it was unbelievable. I mean, just magnificently powerful arms. But for a boxer, Mike Tyson had a great disadvantage. The great disadvantage Mike Tyson had was this. His arms were short. And so that meant that in order to strike his opponent, he had to get in real close, so close that he was probably even tempted to bite his opponent's ear. Probably. (laughs) He did that, if you don't know. It's a famous event. Well, what good would it be if the gospel were powerful but had a short arm and could only reach people who are well-prepared, you know, nice people like you? What good would it be? Not much. But here the apostle says, this good news of Jesus doesn't just have power, but it has a long arm so that the power that transforms and brings people eternal life can actually reach anyone. Some of you may have been those anyones so far from Jesus, but you, and you know now that the good news can reach. But there, in a group this size, there's someone here today who's saying this to himself, to herself. You're saying, Rich, if you just knew me, if you just knew what I do in secret. If you just knew where my heart and my mind, where they actually are, you wouldn't be telling me that Jesus can reach me too. Well, I am here to tell you this today. If Jesus can reach a person like me and hold on to him and give a person like me eternal life, 
simply because I believe in him, he can reach anyone. So when you think about your children, your grandchildren, you think about your next-door neighbor, the people who you work with, the, the people who are your employees, your employers, whoever they may be, when you think about those people, don't say to yourself, don't allow yourself to say to yourself, they're too far gone. They're beyond the reach. They are not too far gone. They are not beyond the reach because the good news of Jesus is not just for the Jews but for the barbarians of the world as well. And how will they know about Jesus unless you tell them? You can no longer assume that because someone lives in the United States of America that they have heard the good news of Jesus and understood it. You cannot assume that anymore. But according to the Word of God, you can assume this. That good news has power and that good news has a reach and there is no reason to be ashamed to tell others about him. My second grade teacher was right. Richie, if you don't get some confidence, you're going to mess up this whole program. She was absolutely right. Here we are at a time when we need confidence in the good news of Jesus like never before. And the Apostle Paul has told us this is how to have it. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we bow before you and we confess to you that we are often ashamed. We are embarrassed. We are hesitant. We hold back. But now we pray that Holy Spirit will write these things in our hearts and that he will empower us to believe and to live out the fact that the good news about you has the power of God in it and that it can reach the whole world. And as you do that, Lord, we will give you the thanks and we will give you the praise for it all. Amen.